If you're a crypto enthusiast, then this episode is for you. If crypto is not your thing, then you should still keep listening. And I'll tell you why. Today, you'll be hearing from the billionaire twin brothers who famously sued Harvard classmate Mark Zuckerberg for allegedly stealing their idea for Facebook. Yes, I'm talking about Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, the founders of crypto exchange Gemini. The former Olympic royal story was also portrayed in the critically acclaimed 2010 movie, The Social Network. But it was their venture into the world of cryptocurrency that pushed the Winklevoss twins into the spotlight. In 2014, they founded crypto exchange Gemini, which has grown into one of the most reputable and regulated platforms in the industry. I'm Felicity Glover, and in this special episode of Pocketful of Dirhams, Cameron and Tyler join me from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. We talk about their belief in Bitcoin, how they first came across it, why they founded Gemini, and how to cope with the volatile crypto market, and why AI is the next best thing for crypto. I'd love to talk to you about your aha moment with Bitcoin. When did you realize that it could, would be a major, a major thing for you and turn you into billionaires um, as well? So we found Bitcoin in Ibiza of all places. So on vacation in the summer of 2012, and we started digging into it and learning about it when we got back to the States and pretty quickly the light bulb turned on. There's that aha moment because the more you dug into Bitcoin, there's these three, three things that jumped out to us. One, money's broken. Two, finance is broken. And three, the internet is broken. And so let's just break down the money part to start. If you want to uh, wire money from New York, let's say to Abu Dhabi, and it's Friday night after the wire cut off, it's faster to board a plane in JFK with a bag full of money uh, than it is to wire. And if you put in the instructions incorrectly or there's a bank holiday, that money is arriving at best case scenario Monday, maybe Tuesday, um, if it doesn't get lost in the ether. And so that doesn't make any sense. M money is broken and money should work like email. At the end of the day, it's information. It's just an entry in a ledger. And why, why doesn't it work that way? And it's because the money that we're used to predates the internet, uh, was built by bankers, not technologists. And so Bitcoin is really the first money purpose built for the internet. It's internet native, uh, and, and it, and it's pure software and it's built by technologists and cryptographers. And so that was a big moment for us. And, and also the fact that money is a social network at the end of the day. And people are all connected online. And so it, it, it makes sense. Like if you, if you order a package online, you can almost get it shipped to any part of the world, but it's very hard to get payment in a lot of parts of the world. And that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And it also doesn't make sense that there's a billion plus people who are unbanked. And if the current system could bank them, then they would have at this point, but it can't. And, and Bitcoin struck us as the only technology that we had seen that 
might actually be able to do that? Yeah. I mean, in short, Bitcoin is money that's purpose-built for the internet. It's a protocol the same way your email works on a protocol. And when we understood that, that was a big moment. And then when we understood that to stop it, you have to stop the internet was also a big moment that this is this is going to happen. It's a when, not not an if. And all of the other forms of money that we thought were money or that we're familiar with were built before the internet. They didn't work on the internet. PayPal's really skinning the old banking system on the internet, um, but it's a better saddle on a horse. And Bitcoin is an automobile. How many Bitcoins did you first buy? And what was the price then? And how did you do it? It's not like we had the Binances or the Geminis back in those days. Yeah, so we we bought our first Bitcoin under $10. And at that time, it was a combination of using OTC brokers and also buying on Mt. Gox, which, which was the the largest exchange, I think 95% of the global volume went through Mt. Gox. And Mt. Gox stands for Magic, the Online Gathering Exchange. So it was a magic card exchange that pivoted into crypto, maybe one of the greatest pivots ever. And it was based in Japan. It was run by two Frenchmen and their cat. And <laughs> and we you would wire money over to Japan. And, and purchase. And I think we had to apostille documents and send all this stuff overseas. And there's a, a, a big lag in onboarding. But once we were onboarded, we, we could buy directly from the exchange. But it was scary. It, it didn't have any of the controls or security precautions that you'd expect from like a platform today. And while we weren't injured in that process, it famously imploded not long after. And that experience really informed us that if crypto and Bitcoin was going to go mainstream, we would have to build infrastructure that could support that, that growth. And so that's when you started thinking about Gemini. Mm -hmm. that, that experience led us to ultimately solving our own problem. Bitcoin is great, but the companies built on top of it are not yet. And Gemini would be the solution to that problem. It'd be a simple, easy, reliable way for folks to buy, store, store, sell Bitcoin. And ultimately, that has expanded to other cryptocurrencies as they've been invented. So going back to the, the other aha moments, um, one of them is finance is broken. And if you look at the system, there's a billion plus people who are unbanked or underbanked. Uh, there's no real access for most of the world. And crypto offers that ability to be your own bank. With, with a smartphone, you can have a wallet and all of a sudden send and receive value. And that's an amazing thing. Um, and it's really open to anybody with, with an internet connection. And decentralized finance, DeFi, a lot of which is being built on top of Ethereum is building permissionless, trustless protocols where people can exchange value, they can lend and borrow uh, without even having to know the counterparty. 
it's truly trustless. You're not trusting anybody and you don't need permission. Uh, we talk a lot uh, about be, being deplatformed. We've seen that in the, in the years, recent years, but people also get debanked and or they don't get banked and they may not get an answer for why that's the case. They just don't get access to the system. And then even within the system, it's a very tiered hierarchy. And so there's, you know, if you're high net worth, you get certain products and services that others don't. And there's, it's, it's even by law, like you have to be an accredited investor, which is, I think, uh, a net worth of a million dollars or more. And there's a couple of prongs to that, but the, in short, you can't even invest in certain things by law or be offered certain investments unless you have a certain net worth. And then of course there's the ultra high net worth that get even different um, products and services and banks just sort of open up. It's like a show game, uh, a showcase at a, at a, at a, um, at a game. Hey, what's behind that door? If you have X amount of liquidity and that pyramid, we believe becomes collapsed through crypto and it really levels the playing field in a big way. And so that, that's, informs us why the system's broken. It, it's not sustainable from just a, the point of gravity. It's, it's just an unfair system inherently, and it favors those at the top. And there's so many who are not even in the system. So to us, that felt totally unsustainable. Mm, I think financial inclusion, the potential that DeFi has um, crypto has for financial inclusion is just incredible. Um, I write a lot of stories about that and it's hard for us to imagine how could you not have a bank account? You know, how do you cope with that? You know, what do you do? Um, you know, and you I think put smartphones. It, put money in your mattress. Yeah. Get stolen. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, uh, if you have a smartphone, all of, all of a sudden you have access to, to credit which is a lot more than people have bank accounts in this world. And so it's a huge idea and it's a big promise. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then the, th the third piece is that the internet is broken. And the reason why we say that is because if you, if you look at the internet, it's really five companies. You're not logging into the internet. You're logging into Fang, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, Microsoft. And, and they, they own your data, even though it's your property, you give it over to them, they own it and they, they then go and monetize it. And there's that saying, you know, if, if the product's free, you are the product. And so the open internet of web one, which was an open, uh, much different experience than web two, which has now become these silos of data or data cartels. And so if web one is read only, web two is read, write, and web three is read, write, own. And so we believe that web three powered through crypto and with blockchains is going to give ownership of data back to the people. And, and then instead of, for example, getting likes on your posts, you might get paid in actual tokens and money. And that's important. It really turns, inverts. It's where all the value doesn't accrue just to five companies and five CEOs in Silicon Valley, but it actually accrues to the people building these networks. And 
you can think of tokens as incentive layers and those who contribute the most amount of work or value to the network will get rewarded in in tokens going forward and that that's really the i think the the vision and what gets us excited about web3 is changing that those power structures because really the internet is it's a bunch of uh, a few monopolies and it is very much broken mm, absolutely you once said that Bitcoin in 2020, during a 2020 interview, that it was the trade of the decade. What would you say about it now? I mean, particularly after the crypto winter from last year, Bitcoin is still a long way from its record high in 2021. It's still, it's going to be the best investment of this decade as well. And Bitcoin is, it's like a honey badger, uh, whatever doesn't kill it makes it stronger and it's been through a lot and so when we gave uh the keynote we gave a keynote speech at bitcoin 2013 in san jose it was in a convention center there was a few hundred people it was a very very small community i mean you knew pretty much everybody by name at that time and the the core of our um keynote was this gandhi quote uh first they ignore you then they laugh at you then they fight you, then we win, you win. Um, we are very much in the fight phase, but we will win. And uh, we've gone through all these different phases up to this point. And most recently, of course, the FTX SPF fraud, I think maybe the largest in modern financial history. I think it may top made off or be close to it. Certainly the, the impact on the psyche of a newer asset class and technology is enormous. Th that hitting, you know, when Madoff happened, it it was happening to an established capital markets that was, you know, century plus old with with securities regulations. So the the impact was was large and yet, and so Bitcoin went down to about fifteen thousand and we're now back to close to thirty thousand. So the market has clearly processed it. It's um it's it's in the rearview mirror at this point and and there you go bitcoin is is super super resilient as tyler mentioned earlier you'd have to shut off the internet in order to stop bitcoin and in our bull case for it is that it'll it will disrupt gold and so if you do the math on 21 million in the uh, supply of bitcoin the market cap of gold Let's say it's ten trillion, maybe it's eleven, somewhere in that ballpark. That puts one Bitcoin, if it disrupts gold and gets that market cap, puts one Bitcoin at five hundred thousand dollars a Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin's trading now at twenty seven thousand, that's quite a lot of appreciation from here. Um, and we still believe in that gold two thesis. We obviously think Bitcoin does more than gold. It's programmable money. It could be the foundation for many other things that are built on top of it. But if it just plays that sound, hard money sort of value game better than gold, because it does, if you look at, if you look at the properties that make gold valuable, Bitcoin matches each attribute or does better. And maybe the most important one is the fact that gold is scarce. 
people still um, mine or find more gold. And Bitcoin's um, supply is absolutely fixed. And that will never change. So if the price of gold goes up, people find more gold. Price of oil goes up, people find more oil. The price of Bitcoin goes up, no one will ever find more Bitcoin. And so the the gold disruption story of Bitcoin is super powerful. We believe in it. And that's why we think Bitcoin is still, despite crypto winter, despite the beatings and all of these other headwinds, it is still heavily undervalued. Mm. So where do you see it in five years' time? From a price perspective? Yeah, yeah. I think we usually take a decade view on it. And, and when we wrote that, we wrote a piece on the value being, you know, we predicted it being 500,000 a coin. We said within the decade. Now, is that in three years from now or nine years? That, that's that's uh, the timing part is hard. But I think that Bitcoin created a, a trillion dollars worth of value in under a decade in its first decade and spawned many, many huge projects like Ethereum and an entire asset class. So I think when these things go, they, what, what is it, slowly then suddenly? Uh, and, and so if you look at the, the value increases in Bitcoin, it's this punctuated equilibrium where it's steady, 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 and then boom, and it re- reaches a new price level. And that's the new normal. And so I would say it could happen very quickly and there could be some, some big catalysts that, of course, we, we can't predict or, or know of that happen. And, and so in our experience, the first one we saw was, I believe, in 2013, the Cypress bail-in. And what happened is that depositors who held over 100,000 euros lost their deposits because of a bail-in with Cyprus. And while those people didn't have access to Bitcoin per se at the time, it became, it it heightened the consciousness that, wait a second, is your money actually safe in a bank uh, if the government can just reach in and give everyone a haircut like that at their choosing capriciously? And, And that, I think, brought Bitcoin to the center stage. And that was the, one of those moments within, you know, 24 hours, it just, um, it mooned quite a bit. And then we've seen with the, the bank failures in the U S positive price movement, because again, people say, wait, I thought my money was safe in, in a bank in the U S in Silicon Valley bank, no less, which is a large, well-known bank has serviced the venture capital industry for 40 years. And tons of startups held uh, assets in the bank on deposit. And so that, I think, shook the confidence of people and orange-pilled an entire generation where actually your your money, the banks are broken. Your money's not safe in a bank. Let's go look at this thing, this Bitcoin. What do you see as the greatest threat or opportunity for uh, crypto's future? I think. It's inevitable. So things can slow it down. Governments can kind of can can slow it down and put in speed bumps or or roadblocks. But ultimately, it's gonna win. 
So I don't, I don't see a future, any scenario. I mean, Bitcoin's completely decentralized. So that's, that, that's, that's cutting the, that's stopping the internet. Um, other cryptos are on a spectrum of decentralization, but I find it hard to imagine any scenario 10 years out where crypto isn't here and it isn't orders of magnitude bigger, just on a similar growth pattern as the early commercial internet or, or potentially uh, much, much greater because this is the internet of, this is not just the internet, it's the internet of money. It's supercharged. I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to hear your thoughts on how they should be investing in crypto. Yeah, so we we can't give investment advice. I would say conviction is really important, though, generally speaking, in investing. Patience is important. Doing business with regulated players um, is important. And get rich quick schemes are probably too good to be true. So I would have common sense about it. I would take those principles. If you want to learn our thoughts on Bitcoin, we wrote a blog called The Case for 500k Bitcoin. It's posted on the winklevosscapital.com, which is our family office investment firm, Winklevoss Capital uh website. So you can look there and then you could follow us on Twitter. I'm at Tyler. Cameron is at Cameron. And we share some, we share a lot of our thoughts there. And maybe you could, could glean some, some insights. Yeah, I think that I agree with all of that. And I think that generally speaking, if you, if you subscribe to Bitcoin being a store of value, type investment then that the the strategy there is is hodl the same way you would hodl gold you don't want to trade generally speaking trade in and out of that it's a buy and hold long-term investment that's that's the approach we've taken and for most people that's probably the right approach it's 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 very hard to time the market and that's that's generally the biggest question is what do i buy and then how do, when do I buy it? How do I time it? And obviously, the the big two projects right now are you know they have Bitcoin and then Ethereum, which is this global decentralized virtual computer, which DeFi is being built on top of, and a lot of great things. And with those two, you have a lot of exposure to the space. Uh, of course, you can go deeper and try other things, but. Those are great starting points. And I think a lot of times people get overwhelmed. And the easiest thing is probably to start just dipping your toes in. It's hard to truly understand crypto if you don't own any. So maybe just picking up a little bit and and experiencing that and feeling it. The same way if I were to describe how email works, it's a lot easier to just use email and experience it for yourself. And and I think one of the products that we're super excited about with Gemini is, is the Gemini credit card where people can earn up to 3% back when they use the Gemini credit card. It's, it's a, it's a MasterCard, And so it's, you do your, um, regular behavior 
And as you do that, you're investing along the way. And so it takes the timing out of it. I've been using my card all over, uh, you know, my trip here and it works, um, across around the world. And it's an easy way to invest while you spend and go about your daily life. And that's, that's a product that we thought would create like more access and, and make it easy to engage with crypto. Uh, so that's, that's one other way people could potentially get into it. I, this a little bit left of field, you both seem to have a knack of, you know, jumping on really emerging trends very early. And I'm sorry to bring in Mark Zuckerberg, but he's kind of fallen way behind you guys. And I can identify three instances so far. I could be wrong, but I, I kind of figure connect you pre-Facebook, uh, crypto and the metaverse now. There's a lot of analysts that are saying that, you know, his metaverse um, is a $10 billion flop. Are you able to tell me your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I don't, so I haven't paid a lot of attention to the, the meta, meta's attempt at the metaverse, but ultimately I, we think that the decentralized web three version is going to win out because the value will accrue to the users and the incentive structures are just stronger for adoption and it's a fairer, better system. And so, um, I'm sure some people will use a centralized metaverse that's controlled by one company and they don't, and all the value accrues to that company and that CEO. But uh, fundamentally, I think the open, decentralized uh, blockchain version of the metaverse and the incentives of tokenomics are just going to be much better and much more adopted. So we've obviously been putting all of our focus in that, in that direction. Um, and we think that, that ultimately that is the, the version that will win out. I, I agree with that. I think in a, a centralized metaverse is, is basically an immersive web to experience. And so I think that the open decentralized metaverse wins out the same way open source software has has won out people don't want to build on proprietary stacks they they're building on open source and that movement has just completely not entirely but for the most part for the most part yeah in a, in a lot of ways yeah there's there's still closed source operating systems and and people do use that but um we, we think the future is going to be more of the open Outside of the crypto universe, what's the next thing you would bet on and why? I mean, I, th I think AI, obviously, it's, it's buzz, you know, buzzy right now. But I think that we're, we're definitely looking at using AI at Gemini for a number of different things, including, you know, customer support and developer productivity, code review, and maybe even enabling uh, trading strategies or helping people uh, um, build those strategies. So we, we think that the, the intersection of AI and crypto will be incredible and it's going to happen very quickly. And when you think of, uh, machines 
there we are likely going to have more machine customers in the future than humans and machines are better at interacting with protocols and trading value and talking to each other than than humans so we think there's going to be a really exciting inflection point just around the corner yeah we we probably will have more customers that are machines one day than humans at gemini Maybe another way to think about it is if you have a fleet of self-driving cars and those cars need to figure out how to set pricing, interact, and transfer value, then you're likely to just onboard that fleet to a place like Gemini where they can interact real-time through APIs and uh, use crypto as, as like value transfer. And, and I'm sure there's a ton of other things that can be done. So that's that's what we mean when we right. think about robots. robots can't get bank accounts at jb morgan but they can plug into protocols and talk to them and trade bitcoin and that brings us to the end of our interview with the winkleboss twins cameron and tyler we'd like to thank them for taking the time to share their insights and experiences with us and also hope you enjoyed our conversation thanks this week to our producers dua farid and arthur edison and wajud alchemis I'm your host, Felicity Glover, and thank you for listening.